This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. It's really good to see you, and I hope you've had a wonderful few days celebrating with family and friends the wonder of Christmas. And um, if perhaps for you, for whatever reason, this year Christmas wasn't what we hope it would be for you, then my prayer for you this morning is that today that would change. (coughs) My prayer for you this morning is that today would be a turning point in your story or your challenge or your situation. And today we're in part five of five of our Christmas series. Today we're still in our Christmas series and um, that may come as a little bit of a surprise to some because I know there are some of us that when it gets to kind of nine o'clock on Christmas day, do this. (sighs) There's that kind of sigh of relief, we're done. We've done it, it's done. For another year. And um, perhaps you start to look at the Christmas tree and wonder when is the earliest possible day that you can take it down. Good. It's not just me then, no? Or you start to sneakily siphon Christmas cards into the recycling bin, one by one. That might just be me. This year on Christmas Day at about nine o'clock, I found myself Googling couch to 5K. And I don't know if you've ever come across this, but my research tells me that it's a training program that takes you, Claire is nodding very enthusiastically, it takes you from not being able to run, not liking run, running, never running, hating running, not understanding why anyone would ever do this, from that place to being able to run 5K nonstop. Um, So that's what I found myself looking at. I'm not making any promises, but it's at least a step in the right direction. But this morning we are in, we are still in our Christmas series because the Christmas story is not just for Christmas. The Christmas story is not just for Christmas. You see, the Christmas story is not just that Jesus came as a baby 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, but it's that he is coming again to rule and to reign eternally and to restore all of creation. You may have been subject to creation over the last few days. We lost our power at three o'clock yesterday and have not had it back since. And you realize how much you rely on electricity when you don't have it. And you think, oh, well, I can't turn the telly on, so I'll go and watch something on my iPad online. And then you realize the iPad might have charge, but you have no wireless. So there's no way you're doing that. But um, The Christmas story isn't just for Christmas. This story of God coming to earth to rescue and to save us is not just for three weeks in December. In fact, it's the ultimate story of all time. That God came to earth, that he is at work on the earth, and that he is coming again to renew and to restore all things. It is the story that frames human history. And the part of the story that we're looking at this morning is when Jesus, the baby, is about six weeks old. Jesus is about six weeks old, and the account is recorded for us by Luke. And it's Luke in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 40. And in this passage, we find two unsung heroes of the Christmas story. So you've heard of Mary and Joseph. Perhaps you got to play one of them when you were in primary school. I never did. My biggest part was Pablo the reindeer from Mexico. And um, I did it really well. 
I had an incredible Mexican accent for a seven-year-old. But I never got Mary. Um, I don't think I even got a shepherd. You know, sometimes as a girl, you're kind of like, well, a shepherd's all right, because I get to say something. I didn't get a shepherd. But we know about Mary. We know about Joseph. We know about the shepherds. We know about the wise men. We even know about the donkey, who actually, if you look through the accounts of the Christmas story and the Gospels, you'll struggle to find the donkey. But he has his own song at Christmas. So we know about all these characters, but this morning I want to talk about these two unsung heroes of the Christmas story. And these are two elderly Jewish people who had eyes to see, who had eyes to see, who recognized the baby Jesus as the savior that they had been waiting for, and who had a privileged part to play in God's unfolding plan for salvation. And it's found in Luke chapter 2, 22 to 40. We're going to read it, and it's going to be on the screen so you can follow. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was in Jerusalem a man called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight for all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So these are our two unsung heroes of the Christmas story. These two elderly Jewish people. And what is it about them that enables them to see? 
that enables them to really see what is happening here, to see that this is not just any other baby, but this is God's salvation. This is the one they have been waiting for. What is it that enables them to land these roles in this special story? Well, first of all, Simeon. Simeon is an old man. He's righteous and devout, and he's led by the Holy Spirit. And he is a man who is waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. God's promise to his people, the promise of a savior, the promise of a rescuer to a people who are under foreign occupation, who are living under oppression. This is a man who is waiting, but he's not only waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to the people, but he's waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to him. He has had this specific promise to him that he will not die before his eyes have seen God's salvation. Till he's seen the fulfillment of that promise. So here is a man who, like many others, is waiting. Like many others, for years and years and generations and generations, is waiting. He's waiting for Israel's saviour. And the message puts it like this. He lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. He was living in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. Prayerful expectancy. Expectant that God is going to move. Expectant that God is going to intervene. Expecting that God is going to fulfill the things that he has spoken. But prayerful because he understands he has a part to play and he's going to play his part. And Simeon's waiting isn't just wishful thinking, isn't just, oh, maybe one day, but his waiting is an example of what the author of Hebrews goes on to describe as faith. The author of Hebrews describes faith for us as being sure of what we hope for and certain, certain of what we don't yet see. And Simeon is presently living in this future reality. He's living this day in the reality of the thing that God has promised, as if the thing that God has promised has already been fulfilled. Because in fact it has, because God has spoken it, even if he hasn't yet reached that moment in time where the evidence is seen. This is a man who is waiting in faith, presently living in the future reality, certain of what he hopes for, certain of what God has promised, certain of the thing that he has not yet seen. It's what he lives for. It seems to be what is keeping his aged body going because on that day when that couple walk into the temple and he sees the baby like any other baby, realizes that this is not any other baby, but this is the one we have been waiting for. This is the one who is going to save his people. And in fact, all people, when he sees that baby, he says, Sovereign Lord, you may now dismiss your servant in peace because my eyes have seen And this faith that marks his waiting enables him to embrace death and eternity with this incredible peace. This is Simeon, an unsung hero of the Christmas story, a man of incredible faith who understood the promise of God to his people and the promise of God to him individually. And this morning I want to ask you, what has God promised us? What has God promised us? 
Not just us here in Life Church Lancashire, not just us here in the UK or here in the West, but as the people of God across the globe, as his church, as his body, as his bride, what has God promised us? Because God promised us a hope and a future. And you may be here today and the future may seem bleak for you. And you may feel hopeless. But if that's you this morning, I want you to hear that God has promised us, his people, a hope and a future. That he has promised that there will be a day when sorrow and suffering cease. When God will wipe away every tear and pain and mourning and crying and death will be no more. This is what God has promised to his people. And so when we turn on the news to some of the horrific events that we've seen this year, let us find hope and comfort in the reality of that day. That day which is still in the future, but which God has spoken of, and so will come to pass. And what has God promised to you? And this time between Christmas and New Year, perhaps you've got a bit of time off work, you've got time with family, perhaps is a good time to pause and reflect. What has God promised to you as a family, as a couple, as an individual? It might take you to kind of cast your mind back. It may be something that you've lost hold of. But what has God promised to you? And are you living today in the reality of those promises that have been fulfilled, but the evidence of which you might not have yet seen? You see, sometimes the circumstances that we see around us seem so opposed to the thing that God has promised. Sometimes when we look around us, what we see seems so far from the promise, And it's easy then to respond to the circumstances that are around us, to respond to the things that we see before us. But faith lives with a certainty of the things that we do not yet see because God has spoken and God has promised. And you may be here today and you may think, well, actually, I I, I don't... don't." feel like God has said anything to me, then may I encourage you to take this time to ask God and to wait and to listen and to keep your eyes and your ears open because God is a God who engages and interacts with us and is involved in our lives and wants to be at the very center of our lives. So what has God promised to us and what has God promised to you? And are we living in the reality of his promises? This is Simeon, this incredible man of faith, an unsung hero of the Christmas story. But then we have Anna, and um, Simeon and Anna, uh, we, we meet them in the same passage. They're not an item. I think they would make an incredible couple, but they're not an item. We just hear about them in the same passage, but Anna, we, we hear, is a prophetess. The passage says that she was very old. The scholars would say she's either 84 years old or 105 years old. Either way, I would say very old is a good way to sum that up. And um, that she never leaves the temple. That she never leaves the temple, but she devotes her energy to prayer and to worship and to fasting. And we don't know much about her life before this point. We know that she was married for seven years and then widowed. So we know that she understands sorrow. 
The other thing we know is the name of her father. And her father's name is Fanuel, which means face of God. So as a little girl, she would have heard people calling her father the name which means face of God. This word, Fanuel, face of God, would have been a normal word in her home, in her upbringing. People would have spoken this word, Fanuel, face of God. This would have been heard in her home. I wonder as a little girl, perhaps when she was dropping off to sleep, just her thoughts wandering, she'd start to think about some of the things from that day and start to think about some of the things that she hears in her house and start to wonder, well, does does God have a face? And start to wonder as a child and just as she's dropping off to sleep. I don't know. But this lady, Anna, whose name means grace, decades later, a young couple come into the temple, the place where she has made her home. And she looks into the face of this six-week-old baby and realizes that indeed God does have a face, that God does have a face, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Not God who stayed far away, but God who came close, God who comes close, who is Emmanuel, and he does have a face. And she had the honor and the privilege of looking into it and realizing that that she was on the sidelines and yet so close to seeing the unfolding of God's plan for salvation. And this was a word that she heard in her house growing up. Parents, please don't underestimate the power of the language that you use and the culture that you set in your home in terms of shaping the future of your children. Because I wonder what incredible part in the unfolding of God's plan he has for your children, for your grandchildren. So take time to reflect. Take time to consider the language in your home. Take time to consider the culture that you set in your home because culture is everywhere. Culture is set. The question is whether it is set intentionally or accidentally. And take time to ask God and, and look to him to speak to you and to lead you and to guide you as how you can prepare your children for the future he has for them. And the part of the unfolding of his plan that he has for your children to play. Anna's life displays this single-hearted devotion to God. It's this example of single-hearted devotion to God. She spends her time in the place where God is. She spends all her time with him, in the place where he is, interacting with him and engaging with him. This is an incredible example of a life of single-hearted devotion to God. For Anna to be in the place where God was meant that she lived in the temple, But Jesus' arrival, his life, his death, and his resurrection marked a geographical shift for the people of God. Because 
for the people of God, it shifted from the temple being the place where God lived to our bodies becoming temples for him to live in. So no longer do we have to go to one place to be with God, but God lives within us. And so where we are, God is. So we come together on a Sunday morning to be with each other and to lift up God's name together, and to learn together, and to serve together, and to fellowship together. But God lives inside of us. Those who have chosen to follow Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit to live inside of them, God lives inside of us. No longer do we have to go to one place to engage with him, to interact with him. So for us to display this single-hearted devotion to God doesn't involve us being in one place, but interacting and engaging with God wherever we are. It involves us having an awareness of his power and his presence and his purpose, an awareness that he is at work in our lives, that he is interested in our workplace, that he is present in our family, that he is working in our community. Having this single-hearted devotion to God means not pigeonholing God into certain areas of our life, not switching on the God switch and then switching it back off. This single-hearted devotion to God involves looking to Jesus for wisdom in that problem that we're trying to solve at work. It means recognizing him as the source of all our resources, It means having him at the center of our relationships. It means engaging him in our parenting. It means allowing prayer to be an ongoing conversation between us and God. This single-hearted devotion to God is a life where Jesus becomes like a strand that runs through a cord. We have this constant conversation, interaction, open-ended conversation with God that becomes like a strand that runs through the cord of our life, which is ever-present, which is ever, we're ever aware of, this single-hearted devotion to God. And that's what we see in Anna, this unsung hero of the Christmas story. And Simeon and Anna are wonderful examples to us of aging well. See, aging happens to all of us. The question is how well we do it. And Simeon and Anna are a wonderful example to us. Because in Simeon, we have this elderly man who has no fear of death, but embraces eternity with peace and security. In Anna, we have this elderly lady who is mobile, who is engaged with her community, who is full of life and vitality. It seems that their faith and their devotion to God creates an inner health that radiates beyond the physical signs of aging. They're a wonderful example to us of aging well. And the Christmas story, while centering around a newborn baby and a young mother, is a story that pays honor to the elderly, with the roles of Simeon and Anna, and also Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. And so this 2,000-year-old story set in the Middle East has much to teach us in the West in 2015, that the elderly are to be honored, that they have such wisdom and experience that is invaluable. It teaches us that they have a valuable part to play, 
that we are never meant to retire from following Jesus and fulfilling his mission here on earth. Here in Life Church, one of the things that is so important to us, one of our values, is that we are a generational community. That we are a community where all generations are represented, but not in isolation, but where all generations serve together and share life together and worship together and journey together and build the future together. Simeon and Anna are these incredible examples to us, these unsung heroes of the Christmas story who have eyes to see, who recognize what God is doing and his unfolding plan. But the story isn't predominantly about them. And although Mary and Joseph are the parts that you wanted when you were in primary school, the story isn't even really about them. You see, the story is about the baby. The baby who's normally played by a a girl plastic doll wrapped in a blue blanket, carried on by the seven-year-old girl who, who made the part of Mary. The story is about Jesus. The one who Isaiah wrote is Wonderful Counselor who is the mighty God, who is everlasting Father, and who is the Prince of Peace. This is who the story is about. And although in this passage the baby isn't doing very much, he's six weeks old, he might possibly have just reached the developmental stage where he can smile. Although the baby isn't doing very much, there is something very powerfully prophetic going on. Because the events of this passage point to a day 33 years in the future. The events of this passage as this young couple bring their child to the temple points to a day 33 years in the future. You see, the young family go to the temple that day to adhere to the Jewish law, which says that 40 days after the birth of a firstborn baby boy, the son should be dedicated to God and the parents should offer sacrifices for Mary's purification. You see, as a result of the post-delivery bleeding that Mary would have experienced, she was to be separated. She was to be separated for some of that 40 days from her husband, and for all of that 40 days from the temple and from objects that were considered holy, from the place where God was. Because of what was considered her uncleanness, she was separated from the place where God dwelt and from her closest human relationship. And so as she comes to offer a sacrifice to cleanse from this physical uncleanness, to restore this relationship that has, and to, to cleanse herself from this uncleanness that has resulted in her separation. She has in her arms the one who 33 years later became the final once and for all sacrifice for all people so that all people could be purified and cleansed from the dirt and the mess and the sin and brokenness once and for all. She has in her hands that day the one that would do it for all people. And that is what Jesus did upon the cross. That is what Jesus did. And as he gave up his life that day on a hill Outside of Jerusalem, something incredible happened inside the temple, inside Jerusalem. You see, there was a temple 
In the temple, there was a curtain. This curtain was about 60 feet high and four inches thick. And this temple marked the innermost part. This curtain marked the innermost part of the temple. It was a, a, temp, a curtain of separation. And it separated the people from the place where God's presence dwelt, the most holy of holies. And one person, because, because of human sin, just one person was allowed to go into that place once a year because there was this curtain of separation between God and the brokenness of humanity. And on that day, as Jesus hung upon the cross, as he gave up his life on a hill outside of Jerusalem, inside the temple, inside Jerusalem, that temple, that separation between God and humanity, that 60 foot high, four thick wide, four inches thick temple was torn from top to bottom. That separation between God and humanity came to an end because of the one who gave up his life, because of the newborn baby boy who came into the temple that day with his parents to offer the sacrifice for the mother to be cleansed and to be reconciled to that place of God. Something incredibly prophetic going on in this passage, this day that points to a day 33 years in the future that isn't just about that family but is about every family, is available for you and for me. As Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for all people, he made it possible for us to be purified from our sin and our mess and our dirt, and our brokenness, and our shame, and our guilt, and to be reconciled back to the relationship with God the Father that we were created to be in, that we were created for. And not only that, but as Jesus makes the way for us to be reconciled to God, he makes the way for us to be reconciled to each other. Because of the cross, forgiveness is available. Because of the cross reconciliation, new beginnings are available. And I wonder, just as we draw to a close, if we could close our eyes all across this room and just take a moment to reflect. And what is it that God has promised you? What does single-hearted devotion look like for you in 2016? Is there a relationship in your life where there is breakdown? Because God wants to bring reconciliation. What is the first step that you need to take? Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.